So before we start on this episode, I have a little bit of ranting to do. Uh-oh. So this, I guess my rant is just loosely, loosely based on what we're going to be talking about tonight, but um, that's what I use as my justification for bringing this up. So I ran across this article that was talking about the worst rated horror movies. And I won't mention the site, but it's based on critics ratings. Yeah. So I'll talk about critics' ratings and audience ratings. The three movies that stuck out to me were um, the first one because we had just watched it was the disappoint disappoint disappointments room, right? Disappointments disappointment room. <laughs> Try saying that five times. Fast. Yeah. Well, it's putting the s on the end of it. Then. Yeah. So disappointment room. That's fine. Disappointments room is hard. Had a zero critics rating and a 17 users rating. Even that, which I didn't really care much for the movie. But it was a little erratic. It was just like going nowhere. It seemed like it was going all over the place. But at the same time, really going nowhere. nowhere. Uh, So that one was, okay, so yeah, rating kind of questionable. The second one, which has always been a pet peeve of mine ever since it came out, was Flatliners, the, really? the remake with uh, Alan Page and Nina Dubrov. Oh, from Vampire Diaries. Yeah, Elena, whatever yeah. whatever her name is. Uh, that got a 4% critics rating and a 32% user rating, viewer rating. Now, the 32% I can see, I would say, yes, it's not, not a great horror movie. Yeah. But I, I never understood the, the 4%. Yeah, it wasn't horrible. I wouldn't... It's kind of like more of a suspense, but very light suspense. Yeah, I, I wouldn't... I don't know if I classify it as a true horror movie. Yeah. But it does have those elements. I just don't... I don't see where... If you look at all the movies out there, horror movies, bad ones, how that only got a 4% rating. Yeah. I mean, it, it was fairly well put together. The other one, which is uh, the uh, Ouija. Ouija. Whatever. Ouija. Ouija. I think Ouija is the uh, correct p- pronunciation. I'm probably... But it's either Ouija or accepted as Ouija. I've never heard anyone say Ouija. Anyway, Ouija. Ouija, like I like to say, Ouija, got a 6% critics and 24% audience. 24% I can see. Again, not a great movie. Yeah. But 6%? It's not horrible. The movie, not... (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's not... I don't think it's that horrible. Because I could think of a lot more movies that are much more horrible than... I think it's just really hard these days because I feel like we're all so desensitized to horror movies that it really takes a lot to... For anyone to really say it's scary. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the criteria is. Maybe it is that... It has to be scary. Like you said, we're so desensitized. We've seen so many of these movies. To me, it's not really about being scared. It's just about the atmosphere, uh, the characters, good acting. You know, I mean, it has to have a decent story, right? Which I think it does. To put it in perspective, 
You remember Winchester? Yeah. So that got a 13% rating, critics, and 32 audience. So again, the 32, the audience seems to have, to me, a better line on whether a movie's decent or not. To be honest, I wasn't as impressed with that movie. I think I fell asleep at some point during Winchester. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, to me, so Winchester, yeah, I didn't care for it. I thought Ouija was a better movie by far. Yeah. Than Winchester. Yet Winchester garnered a 13% critic rating versus only 6%. Yeah. So, I don't know. Anyway, that was that was my kind of I was looking at that. Another one, uh, Amityville Awakening. The one with, I don't even remember, the one with uh, Bella Thorne. CC from Shake It Up. You remember watching that? Yeah, vaguely. That got a 30% critic rating. And I'm like, there's no way. Well, considering I don't remember really watching. (laughs) Yeah. The Nun from the Conjuring universe. I was actually going to bring that up. I wonder what the rating is because that has more like pop-up scares. Yeah, that was 25% critic 35. I think any movie within the Conjuring universe is going to garner pretty decent ratings just because of... The Conjuring. Because of The Conjuring, yeah. I don't think that movie was so horrible, but I wouldn't put it in a category of my favorite in The Conjuring universe. Yeah, I definitely think... Probably pick it as the worst out of them. It was okay. Yeah. And I don't know, maybe it's not that comparable to, like, Ouija. I'm going to be honest... I think Annabelle Comes Home is my least favorite. Yeah, that just had a really weird vibe to it. Yeah, I don't Um, know if it's because it was, you know, all based in one scene, really. Yeah, yeah. I can't say I hate that movie, but it just had a really weird, weird vibe to it. Yeah. Some of the underlying stories were, were pretty good, but... I feel like it just had a lot going on. Yeah, it it seemed rushed, almost. Yeah, yeah like they really didn't know how they wanted to, or where they wanted to go with it. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, so that, that was my my rant for the week. Maybe now, our calling should be rating movies. Yeah. <laughs> Being a movie critic well, herself. I always wonder because I think, well, maybe I'm way off base because, again, with Ouija, 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 <laughs> Ouija, that I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's not the greatest, not the greatest movie. I'll give it that. I mean, I definitely wouldn't put it in my top 100 horror movies. Yeah. But it is one of those, what do you call the movies, kind of like you like to watch that nobody really likes, your kind of um, secret favorite movies. Oh. What do you call that? Is it like a guilty pleasure? Guilty pleasure, yeah. 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 So Ouija's kind of one of my guilty pleasures. I just, for whatever reason, to me, it has good atmosphere, good acting, decent acting. I won't say great acting, but good characters. Maybe kind of falls off on the end, but whatever. But I just like it. But I just figure, okay, well, I don't know if I'd make a good critic or not. Yeah. I'm curious. You have a top 100 horror movies? <laughs> I've been around for a while. <laughs> That's a good question. I would have to see if I could come up with top 100. I don't even know if I have like a top five. <laughs> I'll see if I can put that together. I can come up. I bet I can. Well, I'm curious what your favorite horror movie is. Because I don't really have a favorite, but I have one that really scared me when I first saw it. What's but I was that? also a lot younger. What's that? The Ring. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. I couldn't sleep by <laughs> one of those TVs. Yeah, it's, it's hard because, you know, you have those sentimental ones. 
But then over time, you know, favorites change, right? Yeah. So Halloween used to always be my all-time favorite. I was going to say, even though Halloween's not scary, it's kind of funny to me that people used to be scared of it. But and I'm not making fun of anyone who was scared of it. Obviously, times were different back then. But it is a movie I can watch over and over. Okay. Yeah, so that was my era, and I can understand people who were scared of it. Now looking back, yeah, you know, maybe, maybe not. But that's the same as me looking back at, like, Psycho, which was, you know, everybody freaked out about. But I look back, and I watch it, and I'm like, yeah, you know, it's okay. But yeah, I don't see anything scary about it. I would love to see Psycho. Yeah, we'll have to watch it one of these days. It was on one of the services, but it's, it's gone now. Mm. So it'll come around. So... Tonight we're talking about Ouija boards. Ouija boards. I'm going to say Ouija. Or Ouija? Like Luigi? Luigi. <laughs> Luigi boards. Uh, well, that's just how I, it rolls off the tongue that way. Yeah, that's Ouija. why. I, Ouija. Ouija. So don't come at us. Yeah, I don't, we don't want to hear. <laughs> so we have never had a Ouija board in this house. You've never used one, right? No, I've actually never seen one in person. Yeah, so... I have, as a kid, used one story. I don't know if we want to get into that. But you have, I, you and I have talked about, like, starting a collection of Ouija boards. Yes. Right? So I'm going to make some noise here because i got to go grab something. But I have something for you. Oh, gosh. Oh, I have my your, gosh. Your own Ouija board. Oh, my gosh. Now, this is the standard uh, Hasbro Gaming Ouija board, the most popular one out there. But that is now your first Ouija board for your collection. Yay. Now, oh a couple God. rules, right? You can never play alone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can never play in a graveyard. And you can never, ever play in this house. <laughs> So just never take it out of the box. Yeah, and, and always say goodbye. Yes. Yes. So, anyway, I'm shocked. Does anyone else know that you brought that into this house? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mom does know. I did mention I did show it to her. You're going first of all. You're going to talk about kind of the history. Yes. All right. So go for it. All right. So it was a little difficult trying to track the original origins of spirit boards because there's a lot of history, but I just went with uh, the American history. So in 1886, a man named Charles Kennard in Chestertown, Maryland, claimed to have invented the Ouija board. He asked a cabinet maker and coffin maker named E.C. Reich. I'm not 100% sure if that's how you pronounce his last name, but I only have to say it another time, so we're going to go with it. Uh, he asked EC to make a few boards. Reich later claimed that he came up with the idea and that Charles Kennard took it from him for business. So there, there's not really 100% sure who came up with it. It was a huge hit in Chestertown from 1886 to 1890, but then Kennard goes to Baltimore to meet a lawyer, Elijah Bond. In April 1890, Kennard, Bond, and Bond's sister-in-law, Helen Peters, held a seance. Bond said that Helen Peters was a strong medium, and that was in quotations. They asked the board what it wants to be called, and the board spelt out Ouija. They asked what Ouija meant, and it spelt out good luck. <laughs> now, is it saying good luck? As in that's what it means? 
Or good luck as in good luck. <laughs> good luck using this. Yeah. A little fun fact, the building where the seance happened is still up. It's now a 7-Eleven. <laughs> <laughs> and it has a plaque uh, on the building. On the 7-Eleven? Yeah. <laughs> that, that's yeah. where the seance was held. That's funny. Elijah Bond files for a patent, but the patent office wants proof that it works. According to a grandson of Helen Peters, they took the board to the patent office in Washington, D.C. The first clerk said they didn't want to be a laughingstock, but the chief clerk said if the board could spell out his name, then they'll get the patent. So Helen <laughs> Peters took out the Ouija board and it spelled out his name. Yeah, wow. <laughs> I wonder how that happened. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, <laughs> unless the board was moving itself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's not that hard to look at a name tag, assuming they have name tags back then. Yeah. The business was soon taken over by William Fold, whom was the American entrepreneur that began to market the board. After all the profit and popularity, Helen Peters wanted nothing to do with the board because it caused serious family conflict. Civil War family heirlooms went missing from the Peters' home. According to Peter's grandson, Luigi said it was a family member after it was asked who had taken it. Half the family believed the board and half, including Peter's, called bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> so even the medium didn't believe the board. Maybe because she was the one who stole everything. But wouldn't she want the family member to be accused? No, she was the family member. Oh, <laughs> so she's saying, yeah, Luigi board's a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> yeah, I don't think, I mean, it could be. <laughs> this caused a major conflict that was never resolved and tore the family apart, which I kind of find a little interesting that they let in a Ouija board. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. After Peters sold all her stock and t- continued to tell everyone to not play the Ouija board because it lies, and she kept saying that until she died. Not a Ouija board related. <laughs> On the other hand, William Fold also had his own Ouija related troubles. In 1919, he cut his brother out of the business, causing the two to never speak again. The year was good for sales following a world war and a flu epidemic. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> Fold opened new factories, building a three story building in Baltimore after the Ouija board itself told him to prepare for big business. Early 1927, he went up to the roof to supervise the flagpole being replaced. He was standing on the edge holding an iron support of the pole when the support suddenly pulled away and he fell over backwards. He was able to grab a hold of the sill of an open window that suddenly closed, sending him down to the sidewalk below. He had broken several ribs but was expected to live until on the way to the hospital, they hit a bump in the road which sent one of the fractured bones through his heart, causing him to die. Oh my god. The final destination stuff. Yeah. His family continued to run the business until 1966. During the Vietnam War, Parker's brothers bought the Ouija board in 1966, which was later bought by Hasbro. Hasbro's website warns, handle the Ouija board with respect and it won't disappoint you. Oh, and I was wondering if we could figure out how to get a curse on this one. Doesn't no. seem <laughs> doesn't seem useful to have a Ouija board without a curse on it. Well, then you have to break the rules, I imagine. <laughs> In 1967, it outsells Monopoly, the only time any game has ever done that. Wow. 
The reason it most likely became so popular was because spiritualism in the 19th century was a big thing. During the Civil War, there were so many deaths and they used spirit communication devices to help since whenever victims didn't have an ID, they weren't able to return the body. During times of economic depression and wars, talking boards seemed to really take off. Families would use them to see if their husband, father, or son were okay while they waited for response letters. Which I feel like that's so sad. Yeah. While the Ouija board was invented during the Victorian era, it broke many rules. During this time, you weren't allowed to be alone with people of the opposite sex, and you weren't supposed to be touching. The board made so that you put it on your knees and your fingers would touch, so it became the ultimate date game. (laughs) The original directions would say that if you wanted the best result, use two people, preferably a man and a woman. And this made men wanting to buy it for women. So I guess it was a good um, business thing. What is it called? For advertisement. Advertisement. Yeah. Good marketing scheme. Yes. 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 Thank you. (laughs) So why is the Ouija board portrayed as scary if it was a comfort thing back then? Well, early movies would make jokes about the board. But in the 1973 movie, The Exorcist, it infers that the little girl uses the board and becomes possessed by a demon. The idea of demonic possession after using the Ouija board took off and scared people. So kind of like how Psycho scared people into not wanting to take showers. (laughs) (laughs) There's another one movie that's on my list. But so was that the point at which Ouija boards became scary? Yeah, that's that's what. That's interesting. I never thought about that. I just demonic uh, possession. Yeah, because growing up after The Exorcist, I mean, it was already you know Ouija boards were already like scary, and so I never thought about you know when that started. I just assumed it was always like that because it was always associated with conjuring up spirits. Yeah, that's how or why a lot of horror movie writers use Ouija boards because. Now people are so afraid of it. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. But that's all I really have on that. Well, I have a story. It's interesting you mentioned about putting the Ouija board on your on your knees between people who are using it. Yeah. So I, I never knew that was a thing. I always thought it was like on a table or on the floor. Yeah, I just assumed it was on on the table or yeah, as kids on the floor. Yeah. So I have the story of. Pearl Lenore Curran. So, as a child in the late 1800s, Pearl was not considered a good student, but a childhood friend had said she was a great talker who loved to tell jokes and funny stories, and she was said to have a good memory. Now, that may or may not, those facts may or may not play into this story as I as I roll it out here. Okay. At 13, Pearl had what was termed a nervous collapse, and she dropped out of school. A nervous collapse. Yeah, so she, age 13, she had a nervous breakdown. I don't know why I didn't look into the details. Mm. But again, just kind of a little bit of her background. But now, fast forwarding, Pearl's about 30 years old. She's a housewife living in St. Louis with her husband, John Curran, who was a former immigration commissioner. After Pearl's father died, her friend Emily suggested that she and Pearl try to contact him through Emily's Ouija board. So twice a week, while their husbands played Pinochle in the next room, don't know why they'd be playing Pinochle while the wives are off doing the Ouija board, but 
that's what the story is. What even is that? It's just a card game. Oh. I have no idea how you play it. That was even before my time. Yeah. So, but anyways, card game. Husbands were in the other room playing it. Emily and Pearl sat with the board balanced on their knees, trying to contact her father. <laughs> While the board spelled out occasional intelligible words, it was mostly gibberish that they were getting. They were just doing it, and they weren't really getting anything out of it. Then, on the evening of July 8, 1913, they received a message, which went, Many moons ago I lived, again I come, Patience Worth is my name. Or just Patience Worth my name. The message on the Ouija board? Yeah, that's the message they got. It's a long message. Yeah, it's long. Well, you think that's long, wait until you. Oh, no. So, they began conversing with his spirit over the next few weeks. And over time, it became apparent that Pearl was actually the conduit for this spirit patience and not Emily. Night after night, Pearl would sit at the board while her husband, John, recorded patience utterances in shorthand. Patience did not only converse with them, but she began dictating prose, poems, stories. Patience had told them, through the Ouija board obviously, that she had searched three centuries for an earthly cranny. Cranny, I guess she would have. Cranny. So cranium, a brain, to to help her fulfill her burning literary ambition. So there is a there is an author from the early 1900s, Patience Worth, yeah, who transcribed her <laughs> poems, stories, novels published through Pearl. So these were already published. No, she dictated them through Pearl. Oh. And then Pearl and her husband had them published. Well, did they have some type of agreement? <laughs> yeah, <they laughs> with the money some, kind of, some type of contract that's so weird yeah the so the language that patients used was felt to be archaic but not from any specific time or place it was considered kind of 17th century english or colonial american mm-hmm. one person had commented that it was a mix of historical romance novels from the 20th century and a mix of king james bible and patients often had her own words for things, which made it kind of difficult to understand her. But the main point there is that she was talking in a different dialect. Yeah. Now, I read through a book, and I'll talk a little bit about this in, uh, from Casper Yost, a lot of the writings of patients. And it really was like reading, trying to read Shakespeare. Mm. So not only are, you know you have to say, wow, you know, are they making this up? But there were... The, the spirit that they were talking about was talking in, I want to say a different language, but a different dialect, maybe? Yeah. Yeah. So they, they'd be, she'd be at the Ouija board. Her husband, John, would be taking shorthand notes. They'd occasionally have to stop if they didn't understand a word and look it up. Or somebody who was there would, you know, look it up. They'd go grab the encyclopedias or dictionary and see if it was a word that's just no longer used. So they had like a whole team. Well, the, the story spread, and soon the Curans opened up their house twice a week for people to come and watch as she communicated with, with patients. So was it just her using the board then by herself? Uh, no, she would have, so large, uh, large groups of people would come week after week to, to watch this, and she would have people sit down with her. Okay. Right. One of the attendees man I just mentioned was Casper Yost. He was a newspaper editor who ended up running a series of articles about Patience Worth in 1915, which really sparked the interest, the public interest of this story, right? 
And this, you know, early 1900s, like you said, the, the Ouija board took off kind of after the Civil War. It was kind of the age of spiritualism. Mm-hmm. I think early 1900s was probably the tail end of that. You know, we were starting to get into the age of science at that point. So they were really kind of riding on the tail tail end of the this age of spiritualism. So Yast uh, eventually wrote a book in 1916 called Patience Worth, A Psychic Mystery. And that's when I was telling you about I read. And it was really, uh, for me anyway, a difficult read because it's kind of like reading Shakespeare when you try to translate or understand the the language of patience worth. Yeah. Which really kind of amazed me that, you know, they're, they're not just sitting here talking to somebody and just, you know, in their normal day-to-day English translating these words. They're talking to somebody with language from, you know, centuries past, yeah. if you will. So, like I said, visitors would be able to sit down with Pearl and they'd be allowed to ask patients questions or even request a poem on a specific topic. But when the impulse... so. Patience kind of developed her, you know, she kind of had her own personality, which came out in her discussions as people asked questions and, and just as she was conversing with, with, uh, with Pearl and, you know, her family. So, as you know, people come in and be able to ask questions, but then when Patience decided it was time to start work, she would stop with the, stop with the conversation and announce that it was time to get to work. And then she would start dictating whatever. Some, some evenings she would work on a novel, a poem, and a play simultaneously kind of bouncing around between them that'd be confusing yeah well what's even more confusing is what's interesting to note is that you know there is no punctuation on a ouija board yeah right so patience was said to had was said to have was said to have paused ever so slightly between sentences but for the most part they would have to um, you know put everything together sometimes when she was dictating the Planchette would dart over to the word no, and then she would um, restart a sentence. Mm. So it was like she was rethinking um, her prose, right? Eventually, Pearl was calling out words at a rate of 1,500 an hour. I can't even imagine just darting over and then calling out. Yeah. At first, she would spell out the, the words, the letters on the Ouija board. But as time passed, the mere touch of her hand on the planchette supposedly you know, just let out a flood of spoken words. So she would just touch the planchette and it would all come come out of her. And then eventually she abandoned the board entirely and just recited patience words. Hmm. So that's kind of a kind of a curious part of that. Yeah. Over the years, patience provided very little personal information, but she did indicate that she was an unmarried, unmarried English woman who had migrated to Nantucket Island in the late sixteen hundreds and was killed in an Indian raid. Except for giving two possible dates for her birth, 1649 or 1694, Patience refused to locate herself in time. So she was very elusive about any personal details. Hmm. When asked by somebody, you know, people would come in and try to pull things out of her, right? You know, and so somebody had asked her, well, what was the Indian tribe that, you know, that killed you? Or what was the tribe the Indian that killed you belonged to? And she just replied, would ye with the blade at thy throat seek the affiliation of the assassin? Meaning if somebody has a, a knife at your throat, are you going to ask them any details about who they are? Yeah. So just kind of her personality of... She wanted to be mysterious. Yeah. Well, she wanted to be mysterious or if you're on the other side of the argument, Pearl didn't want to give too many details. 
I lean on the side of this is a very interesting story because just the logistics of trying to pull off such a con. Yeah. It seems so ridiculous, right? Uh, some other tid- tid- tidbits that she uh, um, she did reveal was she hinted that she was from Dorsetshire, England. I think that's how you pronounce it. She never mentioned her father, but said her mother worked as a seamstress for a nobleman's family. And she indicated that she was buried in Nantucket Nantucket, and that a tree had grown out of her dust. Pearl said she sometimes had visions of patients, saying she appeared to be about 30 years old, much younger than Pearl had thought, with large brown eyes and deep red hair. So when interest about this spread, scholars, politicians, writers all came to witness this, and nobody could, you know, and there was obviously people trying to disprove what was going on, and nobody could... The interesting thing, though, is that Patience's writings received literary praise. So not only was she providing doing these writings, she was actually considered a really good writer. Yeah. She was said to exhibit a deep understanding of plants, customs, clothing, etc. of several, <laughs> several historical eras and was said to have an understanding of England that could only be obtained by someone who lived there. Pearl had never been to England. Yeah. In his book, Yas notes that virtually all of the objects Patience refers to in her writings are things that existed in the 17th century or earlier. He noted that in all of her writings at the time, they couldn't find a single reference to an object of modern creation or development, which I guess kind of you know, trying to prove that you know this isn't a hoax because the assumption would be that Pearl would mess up at some point. Yeah. And say something that is out of, you know, out of context for, you know, when this patient was supposed to live. She would have had to done a lot of research. Yeah. And kind of, you know, I mentioned her earlier as far as her having noted that she had a good memory and everything. Because, you know, a lot of people tried to debunk the uh, patient's worth and prove that Pearl was a fraud. But nobody could. Uh, nobody succeeded in doing that. But... With somebody who has an exceptional memory, you could say, well, did they prepare during the day for these sessions at night? Meaning, was she writing this stuff, but then regurgitating it during these sessions? Well, but if people are asking questions... Right, right. So that's kind of my argument on that as well. Yeah, but then she would have to ad-lib these discussions with people. Yeah. Like I said, the early 1900s, age of spiritualism meets the age of science and so this, this was a time when there was a lot of skeptics going around the country trying to disprove all the spiritualists that were out there at this time. So, But nobody could, nobody could debunk her story. Now, one skeptic did point out that there was a character named Patience Worth in a book called To Have and To Hold. It was a popular 1900 novel by Mary Johnston, uh, but Pearl had claimed that she had never read the book until she was told about it. Daniel Shea, a professor of English at Washington University, commented that the phenomenon of patient's worth could be explained without supernatural forces. Maybe there could have been prep work during the day, like I just mentioned, but that didn't account for the quality of the work being produced. Yeah. Meaning that even if she was making this up, Pearl was a pretty good damn writer. And then you have to wonder, well, why would she go through all that? Well, Yas noted that it's hardly credible that anyone able to write such poems would bother with an Ouija board to do it. You know, like if if Pearl was such a great writer, why would she bother with this scam 
just to get her work published. Could it be to get more publicity? It could, but they also didn't make a fortune off of this either, so. Is it because it went to patients? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they all, yeah, yeah. Uh, Western Union did it to her. Now, um, Pearl didn't help her cause because in 1919, she uh, published a short story under her own name, which was printed in the Saturday Evening Post. And the story was about a woman who had a spirit guide, but the woman eventually confesses to a, a friend that she made it up to enliven her drab life. <laughs> so she definitely wasn't, I mean, you could argue, well, she was just, you know, making up a story based on hers. But I mean, maybe she just didn't care, but she certainly didn't help her cause by writing a story like that. Well, maybe people having doubts about her and saying that she's being fake kind of just yeah gave her inspiration. Yeah. Although, well, oh, I was going to ask, was it like similar writing styles, even if it was like, like, I know it was like a different, not language, but writing style because they're different eras. But yeah. when translated, were they similar writing? Like, no, I believe her writing was completely different then. I feel like it's really hard to fake a different yeah. style. Uh, yeah, I think it would be really hard. It'd be kind of like, again, trying to write like Shakespeare. It could be done, but it seems like it would take a lot of work. Yeah. And then, you know, and then to switch back and forth between the two. So although patients refused to be studied by psychologists, there was a Charles Corey, who was the chairman of philosophy um, at Washington University, who claimed Pearl must be suffering from multiple personalities. I believe he was the one who got pissed off because she wouldn't let him study her. So he just came up with his own theories about... They had an idea of multiple personality back then? Yeah, apparently. Yeah, but I feel like back then, being studied psychologically would have been really terrifying. Yeah. Because they, they didn't... It's like you're a lab rat at that point. Yeah. yeah. She did She did let one psychologist uh, do a study, uh, a Walter Franklin Prince. But he, he basically spent several weeks studying patients' work... Uh, interviewing Pearl and, and her close friends. No, not close friends, but just people close to her. Yeah. He concluded that some cause operating through but not originating in Mrs. Curran must be acknowledged, meaning there must be something beyond just her involved in, in what's going on. So like I said, they didn't get rich off of this. They did not charge for sessions when people came to watch. And from my understanding is they didn't make much money from the publications. Well, then I feel like that'd be a pretty horrible scam if they didn't make a profit off of it. Yeah. Pearl died in 1937, and no one has been able to explain how she produced Patience's writing since. All in all, Patience dictated nearly 4 million words between 1913 and 1937. She has six or seven, I heard different numbers on that, but six or seven novels, countless poems, short stories, plays, and of course, all the conversations that she had. Yeah. So like I said, her, her, at the time, her writing was praised for the quality, but I think since then it's been largely ignored and probably because of the fact of the way it was produced and the whole Patience Pearl thing. I think, you know, there's just, just kind of a, an aura about it that is just, I mean, because you just don't hear about her writings anymore. Right? Maybe we should try to contact. Yeah. <laughs> no, we're not, we're not opening up the Ouija board. Not yet. <laughs> So my interest in patients goes back, uh, let's just say a few decades. I won't go back, but you know, probably the probably the eighties. I'm not a big poetry fan, but um, there, there's some poems that I, I do 
I do like, I mean, there's just, I, you know, you know how just writing has to hit you in some way, right? Yeah. Um, so there was one, one of her poems that I, I dug up back then. So this was pre-internet. God, I'm really old, right? Yeah, I remember pre-internet. Uh, so it was a poem that I, I thought that summed up the mystery of patience. So I held on to it. The interesting thing that when I was doing the research for this episode, I looked, I looked through a number of sites that have documented uh, the poems of patience. But this particular one that I have, I was not able to find anybody who had you know, has mentioned it. But you found it in a book before? Uh, I'm assuming it was a book that I, I read or maybe an article that I read. It must have been a book. I, I can't remember where I came across it. Hmm. Yeah, so I don't really like reading poetry, but I would be interested in hearing from anyone who is familiar with this poem. So the title is The Sounds Unheard by Man. And I'll just give like the one, the first line. It starts out, I've heard the moon's beams sweeping the waters, making a sound like threads of silver wept upon. Hmm. So that's the story of Patience Worth. I think Yas summed it up best in his book. There will be many and widely varied views of the nature of this intelligence, but surely there can be but one opinion of the beauty of her words and the purity of her purpose. She has brought a message of love at the time when the world is sadly deficient in that attribute. It's really sad that that message resonates today over a hundred years after he wrote that. (laughs) Anyway. That's so crazy to me. It's crazy that it, it they didn't get like any aside from the whole Ouija board aspect that they didn't really get any fame for it, and that it's not like you hear about the poems or anything. Yeah, and I, and I think it's it's got to be just because of. Uh, well, I imagine there's a lot of writing from that period that was popular then, just because there's so much literature, right? Yeah. That only the top top actually make it through the years you know that we are still reading some of that work but i also think a part of it is probably just because of the whole controversy around how it was produced that doesn't mean that it's not good though i feel like good writing is good writing it shouldn't matter i agree but i just yeah i just wonder if that's if that's kind of the case with this or could it be like the fears of a Ouija boards kind of mm. keeping people from like know. we hear Shakespeare in school, but like, could it be why we don't learn any of this? <laughs> Maybe it's because it's not more of your common, you know, people read these older works, literary works from that period. But we all know about Shakespeare because he was the, the elite of the elite, but there are very few people that actually take the time to read his work, you know, just for fun, right? Yeah. So, I don't know. I guess conjecture. That was it. That's all I got. Could you imagine speaking like that today? No. I can't imagine that they did back then. I think it's all just made up that we make them sound more majestic than they actually were. So, you think they actually spoke how we spoke? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I'm sure they did. I just can't imagine, yeah, speaking like that. And that's the thing about it. It's like, it's crazy to think if this is made up, it's crazy to think of all the effort that she had to put in to pull off. I imagine she was exhausted. It sounds exhausting. I wonder what her friend Emily thought about all this. You know, she was actually a writer. 
Yeah. And then, so they get this patience on the Ouija board, and then she gets attached to Pearl, and then she becomes an author. I don't know. Yeah, that, I'm also curious, the process of the novels and how that... What's that? The novels that she wrote, the process of translating, not translating, but getting it written down through oh. Ouija. Well... Yeah, well, it's it's interesting that she started out on the Ouija board and then it, you know, and then she progressed to just reciting. I mean, there are some curious things yeah. about the whole situation. When you know, because you could argue, well, when things took off, you know, maybe she did it because her life was boring and she wanted to do, you know, liven things up. And then it, like the Ouija board was getting just to be too much, so she just, oh well, you know, no, yeah, patience is just coming into my head, so I can just recite it. Because that's not creepy. <laughs> Her ability to respond ad hoc to questions, though, makes it interesting that, you know, she could have prepared the work during the day, during the week for these two-day-a-week sessions. But then as people were asking questions, unless she really just got good at talking, like... Yeah, I mean, maybe, like, you prepare a basic storyline. Because you said that Patience was very mysterious about her her life. Yeah. So, I mean, that could be... It's interesting that she had a very different personality than Pearl also. Yeah. And also, it's confusing the thought of multiple personality. Usually the personalities don't know of each other. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I thought that that psychologist was just teed off because he wanted to um, study her and she wouldn't let him. So he just decided to make his own conclusions. Well, also, I feel like that like back then, because of how, you know, mental illness was portrayed back then, that it was more of like an insult than a diagnosis. Now, going back to her memory, something that has been discussed more recently, which I don't think was around back then is, and I don't remember the name of people who have ultra memories as far as, and I think it's mostly people on the spectrum who can just memorize everything. I can't remember what there's a word for people like that, but I can't remember. People have the ability to to just remember everything that that goes on in life and read and stuff. You could argue maybe she was, you know, maybe... she had the ability to, um, you know, she still had to produce this stuff, right? She still had to write this stuff. Yeah. But with a with a memory like that, she would have the ability to do that and then memorize it all so she could regurgitate it. Well, like you said, I feel like even with a really good memory, you would end up making mistakes at some point. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what having a really fantastic memory is, <laughs> is like and to the extent of how much you can yeah. remember. Even with that, the writing, the language, I didn't find anything that could even remotely prove that this was a con. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, if if it was, they were really good at And for this long, right? But also, what would be the point of conning people? Again, if you're not charging people for the sessions, you're not getting any money from publishing. Well, I guess you could say that, well, they didn't know they weren't going to get any money. You know, and maybe maybe it was her. Maybe she wanted to be a writer, but she didn't feel like she would get the attention or as much attention, like you said earlier, as 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 if you know, as she would when she made up this story. Yeah. So who knows? I mean, not saying that it couldn't be a, a con, but if it is, it's a damn good one. Yeah. Because I certainly didn't. You know, other than her 
her writing that story to kind of implicate herself and maybe a few other tidbits, you know, some things suspicious about patients being vague about details about her life and everything. I really didn't find anything that that stood out. Yeah. So that is it for tonight. That's all I have. Thank you once again for joining us. Make sure to visit us next week for more weird and creepy stories. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at 12past3 or email us at podcast at 12past3.com. Good night. Good night.